Welcome, welcome to another episode of Exploring Possibilities. Week after week, we have conscious conversations that are raising the vibrations of ourselves and our planet. I'm so glad that you keep joining us. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Google Play, and rate the show so other people will find it. And we'll be right back to get started with the show. But first, a word with Mario Rosales of Tech Life Balance. You know, Mario is the reason this show exists. He's helped me learn how to broadcast independently, create journeyofpossibilities.com, and so much more. Mario, you've worked with Fortune 500s to solopreneurs and everything in between. How can you help our listeners? Well, thank you, Cheryl. The easiest way I can explain it is my skill set comes in understanding the industries I work with, especially for your audience that deals with different types of energy work, uh, shamanic work, coaches, or we have some star seeds and star star Mm -hmm. seeds too. (laughs) So I can speak galactic also. So I can give you an approach of however it is, because I understand what you're talking about. How many times have you heard an IT person talk to you and they're talking to you in IT speak? I don't do that as you well know, Cheryl, I can actually talk your language. That and you blend some really serious skills when it comes to technology and you make it seem simple and you help us find our way to manage it on our own, which is huge. And that's one of the things I believe just like when I started in this field, it's that I learned to empower myself and I want to do the same thing with technology because I see so many people giving away their skills by paying for somebody else. And, and you know, some of this work can be done by yourself if you want to do that. And I can show people do that, doing that. Yeah, blogs, websites, social media, videos, you name it. Mario's your guy. And how do they find you? They can uh, go visit my online magazine that I'm starting to ramp up, techlifebalance.net. Or if you just want to know about me, mariorosales.net. Feel free to reach out and I will speak in your language. Who are you? Why are you here? What wonders and opportunities await you beyond physical death? What happened millennia ago to create the damaged earth and fractured societies you see around you? Empowering, enlightening, internationally acclaimed, the Joseph Communications books offer answers to these questions. Spiritual, concise, contemporary, non-denominational, the communications originate from Joseph, a highly evolved discarnate spirit concerned for you and the future of the planet and its peoples. The words of Joseph and his soul group give you the power to bring light and change into your own life and the lives of others and to restore the earth. Available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook formats, the communications can be ordered today at www.thejosephcommunications.com and also from Amazon and other major booksellers. All proceeds are used for further publishing and advertising and to make the communications available worldwide. I am so excited. I have just launched my brand new audio program for you to learn on the go. It's designed to fit your busy lifestyle. It will help you remember who you are. I've packed all kinds of good stuff in here. You can come home to yourself, raise your awareness, and anchor in deep inner peace and joy. Then I'll help you strengthen your intuition and work with your divine guidance to get and trust your own answers. And finally, using all that newfound awareness and intuition, it's time to shift your inner dialogue and perspective so you can get out of your own way and create more of what you really want. 
That's a heck of a program. It's called Remember Who You Are. You'll find it on the homepage at journeyofpossibilities.com. And right now I am offering this at an introductory price of just $33.33. I want as many people as can to remember who you are. Now for today's show. Our guest today is Ruth Glendinning. She's a social impact entrepreneur and innovator who helps clients and especially women locally, nationally, and internationally with grassroots entrepreneurship, including food and craft accelerators. All of this is part of a bigger vision for community-driven economy to keep wealth local. She and her partner, David Armistead, can be reached online at thrivingcommunitysolutions.com. I'm sorry, David couldn't be with us, but Ruth is. Hi, Ruth. Hi, Cheryl. How are you doing? And everybody. <laughs> so glad that you could join us today. Thanks for making time in what I know is a busy schedule. Well, it just, it's, I've been looking forward to speaking to you and to sharing the stories of how we got here and where we go next, because we really need everybody to show up at their highest and best self to move our, our whole community forward into a positive future. And I really like that you are offering the course, remembering who you are, because I think a lot of people have forgotten that they are empowered and they have a way to play a part in everything as it unfolds. Absolutely. Well, Ruth, you are really a go-getter. I, I don't get to live right next door to you. We're, we're serving different little pockets of communities here geographically, but we stay connected on social media and you are a mover and a shaker. So how in the world did you begin to remember who you are? Well, I've had a very interesting life path, nothing that I expected growing up in uh, West Houston. <laughs> I <laughs> never expected to live in the Caribbean and work on a sailboat or live in uh, Santa Monica and survive earthquake fires, mudslides, and also work at the studios, or even uh, work in o Oklahoma with Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma, where I'm now very connected to Indian country. Those were not paths that were laid out to people who grew up in West Houston. No, I, my, no, no. And it, and, and my, I never thought of myself as an adventurer, but I just kept saying yes when the adventure beckoned. So I've decided maybe there was a, there was a, a authentic part of me that was awakening with each step on that path. My home base where I always seem to come back to is Austin, Texas. There's some kind of magic in this space where if it's, if Austin wants you here, you just can't break up with it. I, I joke <laughs> that it's kind of like this bad boyfriend that you keep going, I'm breaking up with you. And it goes, oh, baby, I love you. Here's some flowers. You're like, oh, okay, <laughs> I'll take you back. And I don't think you ever leave Austin. It's just one of those places. And it's a little heartbreaking for me because I've been here on and off since 1980. And, and there's definitely a huge shift in the energy of Austin. But there's mm -hmm. still so many awesome people here. This is a great incubator for soul work and for community work and for coming together around social change and social justice, which is what we all want. Well, I have to ask you, this is a really interesting story. I mean, you've obviously done your fair share of traveling and being involved in different communities. So where did your real passion for community come from? You know, that, that's a very good question, because as I said, you know, I wasn't really raised to suburbs of Houston are not communities, so <laughs> that's a whole different world. Um, I just felt like an outsider. It's so much of my life. I was an observer. And what I observed is the things that, that made a lot of people happy in the material way 
they didn't move me at all. And I became a great reader. And I did have the great good fortune to be able to travel. My father was from Scotland and my mom was from Michigan. And they actually met in New York and lived in Bermuda. And I was born in London. So maybe that's all just, <laughs> you know, maybe that's just genetic at this point. Um, but as far as what helped me start forming this vision around it was that I, I moved into places of discomfort. So it was great to live and work in St. Thomas, but it was also the first time I had been a minority. And it was great to be living in rent control by the beach in Santa Monica, but I also didn't have a car the first three years I was there. So I took the bus and I got to meet a whole lot of people. And in with Oklahoma, now I was working with Native American tribe, which was just an amazing opportunity that it's just one of the things that I never expected to happen. And then there it was. Um, but the but the real pattern that I started seeing was community works for people when people work for community. That it's a solution to everything. When we have a place where we can feel fully valued, then we have a whole new way of engaging in the world. And I've seen people completely transform when they feel that their life matters mm -hmm. and that they can be of service to others in a way that's purposeful. And one of the, the things that people ask me a lot or they have a wrong idea about me and my work is they're like, well, gosh, you're just so altruistic. And I'm like, you know, there's nothing altruistic, nor not just solely altruistic about what I do, because it's really about creating a world that I want to live in. It's very personally driven. And by creating those kinds of spaces and by carrying that energy with you, you allow other people to start having dreams about the world they want to live in, too. You know, someone has to be the first one through the door to kind of be vulnerable and say, okay, I'm going to risk it. I'm going to go out here and, and hold a space for others to come in and feel safe. Right. And that's what I like about what I've done. I've made a ton of mistakes. I have failed incredibly in ways, but it's always, every failure is an opportunity to learn. And one of the, the themes that has been coming a lot up a lot lately is that we have the privilege of failure, which is how we continue to move forward. I didn't get knocked out by getting it wrong the first time or the 15th time, you know, or, or the, the future 15 times, however <laughs> many that's going to be. And that allowed me to have my own, you know, crucible of formation so that I can come forward now and assure people I've made that mistake. You will live through it. Let's just keep going. Ruth, I know you to be a very spiritual woman as well. And so one of the things that I wanted to make sure to touch on, because I can tell just already in the conversation, you're a very grounded person and often for very spiritually awakened people, grounding is a challenge. So how do you blend your walk of spiritual faith and practice with this work that you're doing to actually bring it to life in community? It's, it's a very, it's a very interesting space to be in 
because as you noted, there's often, it's an either or story, right? You have mm-hmm. people who are very transformative energy or very transactional energy. Uh, for many years, I described myself as a pragmatic visionary. It's like, great to have these big visions. How are they going to touch the ground? You know, mm-hmm. how, how, are, how are real people going to engage with that? And I think it was having so many people that have come into my life and believed in me, even before I believed in myself, mm-hmm. that gave me the strength to just take that big breath and jump off the cliff and say, well, let's just see what happens. And, yeah. you know, it's, and that goes back to the privilege of failure. You know, I, I really understand there's so many people that have never had that person or opportunity in their life. And so it's easy to lose faith. It's easy to think that those people are selected as winners and I'm just a loser. Mm-hmm. When the truth is, 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 as always, is somewhere in the middle. One of the theories that I've been working on lately and will be coming out in a book we're creating called The Field Guide to Flourishing is that we have to create this balance between transaction and transformation. That we have to create that space in between where we're actually transacting transformation. Yes. Action space. And I know that you've done some traveling in South America and know the shamanic work. And there's a word there called, you know, that that's Aini, A-Y-N-I. Yes. yes. And that's how I think of myself. I'm one of those spaces in the middle that just kind of, you know, moves energy, keeps things in flow. Because I can see the transactional side of it, and I can see the transformational side. I see value in both of those. Right now, we're in a, a chapter of American history where the people who have their levers on the controls are purely transactional. They've got no, no interest you know, in some bigger picture, at least none that we can see. <laughs> and they they may have their own, um, but but we've we've over we've overcorrected you know by going too far into transaction, mm-hmm. and there so people kept trying to push this transformational energy into the transactional system where it just got chewed up you know as I I tell people it's like a manatee going into the blades it's like that's just never going to end well, mm-hmm. so I what I noticed in my life is that. That's how much of 2017 was consumed. But then 2018, it's like people woke up and went, oh, wait, we we had it all backwards. We need to draw this transactional energy into our transformation space so that we can form more uh, solid frameworks around opportunities so people feel less, they have less fear around engaging. You know, you you can't just tell people, Follow me off the cliff. I'm pretty sure you'll grow wings on the yeah. <laughs> They're like, well, okay, that's a great literary quote, but I don't think so. Yeah. And so we have to be very, uh, we have to practice. We have to embody that truth that each par- each of those parts has to work together. It's not an either or. We can't sit in judgment on either side of it. And I know many people who are are having a lot of fun playing in the transformational cloud banks mm-hmm. and wondering why nothing's ever coming to fruition. And we have, I know plenty of people on the transactional side doing the same thing where they're like, I'm just playing with my linear 
spots <laughs> and I'm not having any joy, damn it. You know, so yeah, so you need the, the middle road, you know, the third way. And I think that's the fun space. It's like, I know so many people on either side and they're like, how do you walk in both worlds? Well, to me, that's really been, and yeah, it's got its challenging moments, but that's where the real possibility is, is bringing these two together in a way that is anchored on earth in real practices that we can, I mean, that's really where my program design came from too. How can I bring all these great ideas and practices into a lifestyle so that we can actually anchor there instead of it just being something we do once in a while. Same thing with this whole spiritual life in practice in a commercial way, in a community way. So how do you help people do that in a very practical way in their communities? Well, one is teaching people how to tap into our most powerful technology, which is language. If you can't describe what you're looking for, you won't find it. I mean, maybe you can go to a store and you're like, I'll, I'll know it when I see it. But that's a pretty limited experiment. If you're trying to find the right neighborhood to live in and you're just wandering around for a while, that could take you a very long time to do it. <laughs> and it's very high cost in your resources because time is the only non-renewable resource, right? And you're just tossing it out the window driving around. So. What I do is really work with people to draw out their story of what's next. How do they envision it? And even going backwards and saying, how did you get here? Just as you asked me. And when we start having a shared language around a future, we can start negotiating that middle space. And we can mm -hmm. start, you know, in a very uh, moderated way, start challenging each other's you know, beliefs around that, not as a, you're wrong, this is right. It's like, I want to know the why of your vision. Right. Because I need, we need to have two-way respect. There's a whole lot of people in this world that I literally, if I, I want to have an emoji that's rolling my eyes, <laughs> crying, and screaming. I don't think there is an emoji for that. <laughs> But it would be very, very powerful for me because I'm kind of like, that's so funny. I'm crying with screaming, you know, so because we have it's so it, it, it the actions just inspire so many different feelings that we don't have a way to fully express that. And so it comes out in these very either anger or dismissal of some kind. It's always a negative. It's pushing it away mm -hmm. when we need to find a way to welcome that in that even if we don't under, you know, agree with their outcome, we have to understand their process to get there. And it has to be two-way rather than just your process is wrong because look how stupid you are. And that's like, well, that officially closes the door. That's not <laughs> nothing right. going to come from that. Yeah. And, and, it's a, and, I, and all of my experiences you know, living in the Caribbean and California and um, in Oklahoma, plus my late husband was in a wheelchair. So I learned a whole heck of a lot about inclusivity and accessibility that I wouldn't mm -hmm. have learned otherwise. All of that has served to put me in that INI space where I have activated my awareness and empathy. And, you know, there's when we're when we know what we know, when we're in knowledge, that's kind of the expert space. That's very egoic. 
Mm-hmm. We have to move into the space to a, of the unknown in order to get to wisdom. And those spaces that are bigger than us is where we learn, we, we engage with awareness and empathy. And if you look at the letters where you have awareness, wisdom, and empathy, you have awe. So you have to, to get from knowledge to wisdom, you have to move into the space of awe and be willing to go into a space that's bigger than you and have faith, going back to the spiritual story of it, that it's raising you to where you need to go. And that's hard for people. We're in a time where a lot of people are in fear. They don't want to lose what they have because they don't have faith that Mm -hmm. they'll ever get anything back. You know, they just envision losing and never not coming back up again. Or, or better, right? It's like making that shift from it's this or nothing to it's this or better. Like it's, it's co-creating that as a collective and it starts with the self, right? I mean, we have to make that individual shift before we can do it as a group. Well, and and that's exactly right. Is that we have to move from me to we Mm -hmm. and the, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We've always been, at least most people I know have been taught that it the, the pinnacle of it is self-actualization but he had a level beyond that called self-transcendence mm-hmm. and he didn't have time to fill to you know completely bring that into the the pop culture story around it so if we think about that he knew that we were going from me to we but what we've been taught is that me is the pinnacle of it so we can't get into a space of exchanging wisdom until we start valuing, move from me, my experience, to we, which is the wisdom exchange. I'm a total word geek, by the way, so I do this all the time. Oh, I love it. I am too. So we could play at this all day. <laughs> exactly. It's like, I really, I'm a super geek. So, but that's okay. Part of my charm. <laughs> Well, how did you meet your partner? How did you meet David? David and I, well, my late husband and I had a coffee shop called Cafe Caffeine in South Austin. And through a mutual friend, um, she asked if David and his wife could come and use the space to speak about Buckminster Fuller. And David had worked with Bucky in the 70s. And so I'm like, well, I've always been fascinated with Buckminster Fuller. So I'm like, yeah, come on down. And that's how we met in a table discussion around Buckminster Fuller in a little cafe in South Austin, which sounds like it was scripted, but it just happened. (laughs) It does. (laughs) I know everyone's like, no, really serious. I'm like, seriously, that's how it happened. But that is the way spirit moves, isn't it? When it's meant to happen, it's as if it were in a script somewhere and you're going, wow, that just happened. That's amazing. (laughs) You know, I took the S training when I was 15 in Houston and I took it pretty much to piss off my older sister. And so I thought I was very successful in the first two minutes and was ready to leave. They're like, (laughs) no, you got three more days, click, lock door. And I was like, oh, okay, well, here we go. And one of the most powerful things, of course, is what you resist persists. Mm Mm-hmm. If, if you are pushing and pushing and pushing on something and it is not giving, you know, it's, it's, you're, you're locked out. That is not for you. And so I, even though I didn't do any of the follow on work with S, because as I said, I just wanted to piss my sister off and mission accomplished. And 
I didn't did bake that in somehow, you know, so it's like, I, it's like in the weirdest times. And so when I would go through life and like when I went to St. Thomas and I didn't really know what I was going to do, somebody said, oh, well, there's unrenovated hotel rooms for rent on the beach at Sapphire Beach for $350 a month. You can have one. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll do that. And, you know, then somebody goes, hey, have you ever worked on a sailboat? And I'm like, no, they're like, great, you can work on a sailboat. It's <laughs> just like, okay, I'm not qualified for anything. Great, you can have it all. And <laughs> And when I went to, I came back to Austin in 1987 and, you know, there was no economy happening in Austin in 87. And so I went out to visit my sister in California for two weeks and I stayed for 13 years because I ended up getting rent control a block from Palisades Park and a job that was walking distance from my apartment. So I didn't need a car. You know, it's like, who, who moves to L.A., gets a job by the beach for in rent control and doesn't need a car? I'm like, I do. You know, that was <laughs> so it's so I have enough of those experiences that I can authentically tell people this is how easy it is when it's supposed to happen. Yeah. You know, you're in if, if you really are getting so much pushback on it, let it go. Even though in your your ego, see, it's like, are you in your ego? Right. Saying. I really want this to happen. And the universe is like, okay, well, that's cool, but it's not going to. <laughs> so you might want to just chill out for a minute there. And all the stuff that's coming forward now, I've actually been incubating since 1997 wow. in one form or another. So I think that that's another this other message I'm getting from people is I'm getting so many yeses because people have been kind of cheering for me silently all these years. You know, they've been trying to, they didn't, I, I didn't have the words to describe what needed to happen. And I didn't have the internet. Or I didn't have, you know, we didn't have any of these tools available mm -hmm. to, to move from ideation to actualization. Right. But, whether consciously or not, people are holding the space for good things to happen. And that's what I feel is happening right now is that they're like, I feel like I'm holding the space for not just my good things to happen, but for these bigger things to happen so other people can join me in it. So you know, tell us a little a, about those bigger things. What's going on? Well, there's a lot. Um, one of the most unexpected twists in the tale I was contact. I was connected by a friend to the dean of the business school at Mary Baldwin University in Stanton, Virginia, and they wanted to do a civic innovation uh, quarter as part of their their business, their MBA. And he had read the stuff I had written and said, "Wow, this could be a real interesting quarter." Well, what has evolved out of it is it moved from being part of an MBA to actually being a standalone civic innovation master's degree. Wow. Now could be unfolding into a full PhD program. And down the line, it could be a regenerative economy institute right there in Stanton, Virginia. And it's uh, a way for this private liberal arts college to envision a future. You know, because they stay connected with the community, but would, we're going to help shape a new way for institutions and individuals to coordinate actions for a shared future. 
So that, that is all- so encouraging. I'm so excited to hear something at that scale coming forward. Well, and, and I had a conversation with the dean this morning, and he's super excited about it, and the president is. And it's it's just amazing, you know? <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> okay, so I, I get as excited about this stuff. I'm not jaded at all, okay? It's like, it's, it's, not, it's not in my DNA to be jaded about anything. So that's one example is that it's not that we could create a new learning paradigm so that people can find a a place in their community and have a language and have a way to access the wisdom of the community to actually create a future that is meaningful to all kinds of people, not just the people who have money, but people who are bringing all these other forms of capital, the non-monetary capital, like trust and attention and community and relationships and all the stuff we know actually make life sustainable. Yes, that's beautiful. Valuing all of it because we need all of it to move forward. It isn't just the people with the money or it isn't just the people with certain ideas. It's all of it that needs to be served in order for it to be sustainable. 100%. You know, we've seen for years, our, our whole lifetimes, that they keep throwing money at a problem. You're like, oh, the problem's still there. I think it's Yep. You're not killing it with that. You need to throw something else at it. <laughs> but, it, but it's also, you know, part of what I learned from being with Keith in, in his wheelchair was that there's this huge untapped set of people who have so much to contribute and they just need a way to do it. You know, yes. that we've written off so many people that are contributing just by being present. Yes. And, and it's on us, those of us who have had the privilege of failure to get to this greater understanding, we need to bring it to them. We don't, ha- we, you know, take away the, the, the barriers and be conscious about the opportunity. And I know tons of people working, doing great work in the, the disability community mm-hmm. and to create inclusion. And it's, uh, when we have, at least in the state of Texas, you know, aging and disability are in the same bucket. So yeah. kind of all there. So it might be worth caring about this, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I guess a little self-serving. It's like, I'm officially aging. Okay. Uh-huh. Me too. Um, We're all yeah. getting there. <laughs> and, so, and one of the really exciting things for me is that, you know, my time I spent in Oklahoma, Choctaw Nation, and getting really getting to know a lot of really amazing people in the Native American community, um, not just at Choctaw, but kind of across the board. Well, you know, you cultivate and nurture those relationships. And just in the last month, the major things are coming forward that the seeds were planted five years ago. I was just ahead of the curve. I, that's, it's like, if you ever need a, a universal address, you'll find her ahead of the curve. It's like, you know, <laughs> you know. I can like, relate to that completely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know you and I are uh, living ahead of the same curve, right? So, um, but it, it's all about how do we uh, use what we have to create what we want. And, you know, the, there's a lot of, concern, of course, in Indian country, because there's people uh, tossing around the idea of removing 
tribal identity and sovereign nations and just making them a race. And it's like, well, that's not okay. Um, So the whole idea is like, how can we make them economically sustainable, map to their cultural ideals Mm -hmm. so that they can have food sovereignty, so they can have financial sovereignty. And the beauty part is, is that's all going to be coming together too. And this, and I, I have a meeting in a few weeks that towards the end of July that is going to take that to the next level. And my point in all this, the ongoing story is this is all personal connection. This is all caring about people. That's mm-hmm. that relationship capital. You can't, you know, with trust capital, it's hard to get easy to lose and impossible to buy. Mm-hmm. And that is, that's just a truth. Or as I like to say, it's an isdom. Instead of wisdom, it's isdom. That's just how it is. And um, I'm a big fan of technology uh, as a way to, to coordinate action and to deepen collaboration opportunities. But we need technology that supports our humanity, not that distracts us from it. And that's where I uh, trademark the phrase slow tech which is sustainable local organic work plus technology. It's putting technology back as a means rather than an end. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So. Well, I love that you're also really at the core of it is culture, which is so important because people think they want to mainstream some of this culture. That's what makes it so beautiful to be on earth is all these different cultures that's the seasonings, right? And if we make everything vanilla, or what is the point? I mean, I don't think any of us would benefit from that. So you really go in and preserve the culture of the community and not just preserve it, but spotlight it. Like it becomes the thing that everyone works together around is that culture. And, and it's, it, you know, just as we're, we're biological creatures, we need complexity the same way our environment does. Yes. You know, one of one of the reasons that these high tech cities are failing or they're speeding their way towards failure is that they've created an economic monoculture. And monocultures don't thrive. They they wipe out all the, the, the local species and they generate a lot for a few people, but they strip out you know, the, the, the complexity of the environment so that nobody else can really survive there. So, you know, here in Austin, and I don't know if you saw it in San Francisco uh, in the last week, they said that $117,000 a year annual income would put you in the low income category in the Bay Area. $117,000. The average home price is $935,000. And you know, add to that, that they've done a survey and 46% of the people they surveyed in the Bay Area are looking to move away because <laughs> they can't have a quality of life. That's sad. It's sad, but it's also, you know, it, it's not surprising. You know, if we get into this place where money is the only valued capital, you're never going to have the complexity and the roots that you need right. to continue to move forward. 
And so a lot of these people, you know, there's a huge boom in the Midwest because you have affordability, you have the factors of production, you have small towns that are like going, hey, we'll be whatever you want us to be. You know? <laughs> yeah. You can actually go and, and have some impact. And even here in Austin, there was an article about a year ago that said that millennials are coming here, they're taking their knowledge, they're getting their work experience, they're taking their cash, and they're going back to the small towns they came from where they can actually put down roots and become perennials, where they can be valued members of the community. So we're going to hit a dry patch here. You know, it's coming. Because if you've driven all the perennials out of your environment, then there's nobody there to hold the soil. There's no, your roots are going away. Right. So, that seems to be the way we learn as people. We take something and we push it to the extreme and then we figure out it doesn't work at that extreme and then we try and come back and go in a different... It's really interesting how we tend to go to these extremes in the swing of things, trying to find our our, our whatever it is we're looking for. <laughs> well, it, it, and I think that that is, that is the model that we were all raised in. You know, we, we were acculturated to it. But those of us that have had the privilege of kind of stepping off the path and going, hmm, let me breathe for a minute. Let me, right. you know, that let me let me kind of get a better feel for this, kind of recalibrate. Mm-hmm. Then then we can go back in and say, hey, P.S. guys, this doesn't work, and yeah. it never worked. And so when people say the system is broken or it's failing, it's like, no, it's working exactly the way it was designed to work. It's <laughs> You know, it's the perpetual capital, predatory capitalism machine. I, it was like I had a conversation with someone the other day and he goes, I know you hate capitalism. And I'm like, I don't hate capitalism. I don't like predatory capitalism. Right. You know, Let, let's be real clear that if we actually had a clean opportunity space where everybody was valued for what they brought forward and we had we were focused on product producing well-being for everybody. Everybody would love capitalism. But let's be real clear, that's not what we're practicing. No, no, that's a completely different model. Do you think we can yeah. change to that model with the existing structure, or does it all need to, to come apart to come back together in a different way? Um, I think we need a whole new system. And yeah, it's, it's I already do too. happening. It's already happening. There's some great experiments around the world. There's one in London, uh, in the south side of the east end of London. And it's called Participatory City. And they spent seven years preparing for this. It, 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 came, it started last August. And what they did is they're taking a small part of London and they've educated all the people there how to create a complex local commerce. So they're trading with each other. They're not you know, have sending their wealth out of the community. They're keeping it in the community. And they're using technology and they're, they're making a productive community. You know, they have... Uh, 3D manufacturing spaces, they have growing spaces, they have all the things you need. So they're, they've woven technology into it. And it's this amazing experiment that's working completely well thought out. And so we have lots of these little pods of a new system. And now the, the, the goal is, the need is, is to get them connected. You know, to, so 
people like me that are that access the INI, I know about all these things and I can connect them to each other. Well, you have a captive audience right now. So if you could take just a minute or two and say what you would most like them to know to try and shift the way they see things moving forward or open themselves up in a way that they might not have, what would you say to them? Well, to not lose faith that there is much more good going on in the world than you might feel at the moment. And that as we hold the space for good to exist, it comes to us. We have to take the action. We have to have our inside meet, meet our outside. You know, we can't be a mess and, and have a lot of unfinished business and then wonder why we have nothing but unfinished business around us. <laughs> you know, there, there, there's, there's balance in, in that. And I know for me that I really am very happy that I had a chance to live in an analog and a digital world because I could make a whole lot of mistakes that nobody knew about. You know, <laughs> there was no social media. So right. <laughs> that's all good. Is that so to have faith and to have failure and understand failure is learning and to to reach to, to seek the good. It's real easy to get pulled into the story of what's not working. It because it's gravity, you know, it pulls you down. Um but there is a huge amount that is working. There are many, many people working invisibly and quietly, just keeping this new system, incubating it and protecting it so it can actually flourish and grow. And that there's, you know, people like us at Thriving Community Solutions. There's a lot of people um, that are working across uh, Europe that are working on impact investments and starting to understand that we have to educate people as to the value of what's next before we can't just expect them to get on the boat. And by doing that, we're, you know, by having real world projects like Mary Baldwin University and what we're going to be doing in San Marcos and what we do in Indian country and just, you know, keeping to continuing to share the good news. You know, we want to be part of holding the space and raising the vibration from knowledge, which is where people get stuck, to wisdom, where they are free to live. Yes, it's where the head meets the heart, and and exactly. that's an expansive space. Yes. I just love you and all that you're up to. And again, I am really sorry that David couldn't join us because I know he would have some interesting things to add. So maybe we can connect with him in the future as well. But thank you for all that you're up to. And for anyone wanting to work with you locally, nationally, internationally, thrivingcommunitysolutions.com is the best way to get in touch with you. Yes, that's the best way. Thank you so much, Ruth. Do you have any parting thought that you haven't shared yet that you'd like to leave us with? Just keep the faith. There's there's more good than bad in the world. It's just hard to see sometimes. Yes, absolutely. Be the good in the world. How's that? Be the good in the world. I like it. Yes, we'll go with that. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much, Cheryl. Thank you, Ruth. And, and to you, listener, I hope you've enjoyed the show. Be sure and get on our mailing list. Learn about upcoming events at journeyofpossibilities.com. While you're there, drop me a note. Let me know what you thought of the show and what you'd like to hear in the future. And I'll see you next time on Exploring Possibilities. <laughs>